Soon this life will all be over and our pilgrimage will end. Soon we'll take our heavenly journey, be at home again with friends. Heaven's gates are standing open, waiting for our entrance there. Some sweet day we're going over, all the beauties there to share. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little while to labor. In the path that's always straight, just a little more of trouble in this low and sinful state. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Soon we'll see the light of morning, then that new day will begin. Soon we'll hear the Father calling, come my children, enter in. Then we'll hear a choir of angels singing out the victory song. All our troubles will be ended. And we'll live with heaven strong. Just a little while to stay here. Just a little while to wait. Just a little while to labor. In the path that's always straight. Just a little more of trouble. In this low and sinful state. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait. Just a little while to labor, in the path that's always straight. Just a little more of trouble. In this low and sinful state, then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Well, amen. That's good. All right, take your Bible, if you would, today. Turn over to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 9. We're just going to read through two verses today. Jeremiah 9, well, three actually, 9 through 11. What am I talking about? That's actually three verses, right? 9, 10, and 11. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. We'll kick off things there, and then we'll move along in our service and see what God has for us. Jeremiah chapter 7. You guys are taking a while to find that one, huh? I read about uh, Jim's, uh, Jim's grandfather left him $10 million. Wouldn't that be something? 
And the next week, Diane agreed to marry him. After three months of married life, Jack noticed that his beautiful new bride kind of ignored him. It seemed like more and more all the time. And whenever they went out in public, she just kind of ignored him. Matter of fact, she even seemed a little bit, I don't know, kind of flirtatious almost. And finally, he decided to confront her. He said, Diane, was the only reason you married me because my grandfather left me $10 million when he died? She said, don't be ridiculous. I don't care who gave you the money. <laughs> okay. All right. I hope we found Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm hoping, I'm glad you laughed, because I don't know if we'll be laughing a lot today. Let's go ahead and look at Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9. Will ye still murder and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us today in this next few moments as we consider your word, as we seek, Father, to glean from it that we might grow by it. Now, Father God in heaven, we desperately need you. And Lord, we just cry out to you today asking that you'd be glorified in what's said and done. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. May I simply be your mouthpiece. May you stand in my shoes. And Lord, may you fill every, uh, just, Father, anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears today. Father, do your work in our hearts, a work that only you can do. We'll thank you, we'll praise you for it in Christ's name, amen. In chapters 2 through 6 of the book of Jeremiah, we are going to note the prophecies which were delivered during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry. As a young man, he was probably about 20 years of age, he delivered those very severe predictions. He condemned the people and he pronounced judgment upon them. By the time we arrive at chapter 7, something significant has taken place. Turn, if you would, to 2 Chronicles now, chapter 34. 2 Chronicles, chapter 34. You're going to go backwards in your Bible. 2 Chronicles is right after 1 Chronicles. You'll find it there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Tough crowd. Okay, look at verse 1. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 1. Again, something significant has happened. Notice what happened. Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem 1 and 30 years. So he reigned 31 years. Verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign... That means he's 26 years of age, right? When he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shophan, the son of Azaliah, and Maseiah, the governor of the city, and Joan, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Verse 14. When they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Verse 30. 
And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. So what we're finding in this passage is by order of Josiah, who was now 26, of age, uh, 26 years of age at this time, the temple had been repaired and cleaned up. And in the process of that repairing and cleaning up, a book was found. It was the book of the law. The Bible was in the temple and it was buried in debris. And that alone, I believe, is a very sad commentary, isn't it? I mean, how many Bibles are covered with debris in our American homes? I mean, think about it. They're, not, they're no longer on a coffee table in the living room or on a nightstand or on the kitchen table, but instead they're tucked away maybe in a closet or a drawer or at the bottom of some stack of books and magazines. Boy, we don't want the Bible buried in a slew of debris and yet that's exactly what had transpired and happened and so here we are now the temple's being renovated if you will it's being reconditioned and man all of a sudden they find a book they begin to read the book and they recognize and understand there's a lot that needs to take place and they've got to get back to some things king josiah and jeremiah were approximately the same age and both were very zealous for god they were likely good friends even some have said that Hilkiah the priest, the one who found the book of the law in the temple as they were renovating it, if you will, was the father of Jeremiah. The temple was cleaned out, repaired, and back in use, which was, of course, a very wonderful thing. That's a good thing. So now Jeremiah stands in the gate of the Lord's house, and he gives this prophecy to his people. This is the way that chapter 7 begins. Now, if you're in Jeremiah chapter 7, go back to Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to note a few of the verses as we kind of make our way to our text verses. So now we have those chapters through chapter 6. We have Jeremiah who, as a young man, had been making these predictions and really not a very popular predictions at all. And now we have chapter 7 after the cleansing of the temple, after uh, they find the book of the law, and now he is going to prophesy in the gate. And notice what it says here in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there his, this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So now he's going to begin to share and speak to these people. This is the message of the prophet. It wasn't his own message. As we see in the passage, it was the message that God had given him. This wasn't something that he decided to take on himself. This was something that God inspired him to do and motivated him to do and, 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 and gave him the Spirit of God's ability to do. You note that he's standing in the gate of the Lord's house. He's standing in the gate. You say, what's the significant? Well, there are many that find this particular passage or message, I should say, very similar to a prophecy that was given in chapter 26 of Jeremiah as well. However, that particular prophecy or message was under, the, uh, under a different king, a king by the name of Jehoiakim. And not only that, but we don't see Jeremiah in that chapter at the gate anymore. We see Jeremiah now in the court. 
of the house of God. You say, what's the significance? Well, we know that chapter 6 is later than chapter 7. We know that time had elapsed. We know that something had transpired and changed and that his life was no longer a young man, but now he's growing older in his life. And what's so inspiring to me is that Jeremiah had not changed his position, his viewpoint, or possibly even his message during the course of his life. I like that. He was no longer standing by the gate. He had gone into the court, but he hadn't compromised his message or been corrupted through the years. I don't know about you, but that's important. And I want to say to you today that if you and I, or if the, the world in which we live is going to continue to have a good gospel representation, it's going to require some men and women who don't compromise, who don't give in, whose message doesn't change through their lifetime. Dad and mom, don't change your standards as your children go older. Grandma and grandpa, don't change your tune as you come to the end of your days. No, you stick to the stuff. You stay faithful to God. You keep the message clear and you keep it straight. We move back to our text and the temple has been repaired and the book of the law has been found and the people are returning to the temple in droves now. Coming back to the temple had become a very popular thing to do. And they're talking about returning to God and that's, that's good. Young Jeremiah, he hears the conversation of the people and he gives this following message. Notice in verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. You say, that's kind of weird. Amend your ways and your doings. See, the message points out that although they're going to the temple and they're returning back to temple worship, there's no real change in their lives. They're still living as they did when they were worshiping idols. Revival's in the air, but it's an external revival at this point. Sure, time, the time will come when it'll become more than that, but at this point, it was only a superficial movement. The attitude concerning Jeremiah, this attitude concerned him, I should say, so much that he writes to the people on behalf of God in verse 4, and he says, Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. You say, what's that saying? Well, the people were basically saying, My, look at the temple. Isn't it beautiful? Didn't they do a wonderful job restoring it and repairing it? Isn't it nice to get back to the temple? It's just like old times. Yeah, there was enthusiasm about the temple, but there was no genuine turning to God yet. And that's the thing that Jeremiah noticed. So he goes on to say, don't trust these lying words that, that you're saying. You act as if it's the greatest thing in, in all the world is just to return to the temple. You act like that's all that matters, that that's such a big deal. Now we got to remember that Hilkiah had given the book of the law to Shophan, who read it before the king. The king gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem and they had the law read to all the people. We know this. Then they made that covenant with God to walk before him. They celebrated a Passover in Jerusalem like none other in the history of the nation. They reinstated the services in the temple with all the sacrifices and all the feasts. And that was good. And that was wonderful. So then what was the problem? 
The problem was that they were not changing their ways. They lived just as they had lived before. Nothing was different concerning their everyday life. Their relationships with one another didn't change. So Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, we now arrive at our, our text and it says, Will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom ye know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, We're delivered to do all these abominations. Although the people were talking about how wonderful the temple was. They're still worshiping Baal. Huh. Their philosophy was, well, you know, since the temple was repaired and, you know, we're at least tipping our hat to God, you know, on the Sabbath day, then certainly God's going to protect us. God's going to care for us and God's going to keep us safe. And that's true that when God's people genuinely turn to Him, He protects them. But they were resting on a fact that didn't really apply to them at this point. Sure, they had taken up quite an offering for the rebuilding of the temple. I'm sure it was a massive amount of money. And the people, had, the people who had given so generously, they kind of felt that that was all that was necessary for God's blessing in their life. But again, the problem was it was the same old people in a new church. They were entering the temple, sure enough, but they weren't taking anything with them when they left. The outward appearance was revival and blessing just because there were so many people moving to the temple and they were enthusiastic about going. But the reality was that the people hadn't changed, only their schedules. Church was on the calendar, but it wasn't in their hearts. They participated one day a week, but there was no preparation through the week. They simply continued as before. And so will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom ye know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. And Jeremiah goes on to say something else. Look at verse 11 then. And this is by, by listen, in fact, our Lord Jesus Christ quotes this passage. In the New Testament, look what he says. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Huh. Again, this is the same charge that Jesus Christ used when he cleansed the temple centuries later in the New Testament. In Jeremiah's day, he called it a den of robbers. Why did he do that? Because the people were spending the week robbing their brethren, so to speak, and then piously coming to the temple. There was no real change in their business practices or habits or in their relationships with one another, but that's all right. We're going to the temple. We're in God's house every week. We're faithful to keep the, the, the sacrifices, but there was no change in their lives. Now listen, the fact that Jeremiah had to point this out at least to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it kind of implies, in my mind, a sense of ignorance on the part of the people. And ignorance isn't wrong, okay? Listen, stupidity is something we need to deal with, but ignorance is something we all face, and we can fix that easily by getting truth. I believe they were extremely ignorant to what they were doing or not doing here. I think it's, un it's unlikely that they were saying, you know, let's go live ungodly during the week and then go to church on Sunday. 
in their case, Saturday. I don't believe that was the case. See, remember, Jeremiah had already warned them. He said, trust not in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Lying words, he says. I think the majority of the people probably thought they were doing well, but neither God nor Jeremiah, Josiah the king, were interested in this superficial return to the temple and this this outward worship alone. No, what they sought was true revival and a transformed and changed life. They wanted the people to change on the inside, not just to change a little bit of their schedule and just happen to show up in church on Sunday or Saturday. No, they wanted something that was going to carry on in their lives, something that was visible, evident. The Wesleyan movement in England changed lives. It's just about put the liquor industry out of business in England. It changed conditions in the factories and resulted in the enactment of child labor laws. It was a spiritual movement that reached into the lives of the people. The Welsh Revival of 1904 shook the nation and its culture at the very root of its being. Historian J. Edwin Orr, he noted, drunkenness was immediately cut in half and many taverns went bankrupt. Crime was so diminished that judges were presented with white gloves signifying that there were no cases of murder, assault, rape or robbery or the like to consider. The police became unemployed in many districts. Stoppages occurred in coal mines, not due to unpleasantness because management and workers between management and workers, but because so many foul-mouthed miners became converted and stopped using foul language that the horses which hauled the coal trucks in the mines could no longer understand what was being said to them. Let me tell you something. Something went on in that day, something miraculous. God was doing a work in hearts and lives, and it wasn't just impacting one day a week. It impacted the culture. It impacted the society. It made a difference in the communities in which they lived. It changed how they viewed life, how they viewed one another, and how they viewed God. That was the message of Jeremiah in his day. Don't lie to yourselves. Attending and participating in temple worship isn't what's most important. What's most important is a changed life. You can only imagine how popular that message and that man was amongst those people. No one relishes the idea that they're wretched and miserable. I mean, isn't that really the offense of the gospel? When we go to a world and we say, you're a sinner. Well, what about you? Oh, absolutely. I'm a sinner too. But, but, but boy, to tell the world, you're sinners. You say the gospel is the good news. The good news begins by saying, you're a sinner. And that is an offense to people in many cases. Look around you and you're going to see mankind constructing monuments that highlight their benevolence, recognize their compassion toward humanity and provide evidence of their innate goodness. Put our names on buildings and all kinds of things, this trust and that Uh, society and that group and we're all trying to always prove how good we are at our inner being at the root of our being as a matter of fact we're quick to robe ourselves in self-righteousness and view ourselves as being quite acceptable and lovely in the sight of God who's holy oh I know God I mean my good outweighs my bad I'm a good person I'm a decent person I'm okay that's the flesh that's the natural man the I mean that I should say that's the car the 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 uh, uh, the atomic nature 
And I believe these folks were convinced that their token acts of devotion and their superficial depth of spirituality was perfectly acceptable to God. And by the way, it should be acceptable to everyone else too. And I don't understand that prophet back there proclaiming this message. I don't know why he's saying what he's saying. It doesn't make sense to me. And again, I don't believe they were maliciously thinking of harming him and for the reason of that, but they honestly were deceived and they thought it was enough to go to God's house and just simply pay their dues. So Jeremiah is pointing out a few things. And here's the message. Number one, it's not enough to simply go to church. God's not about lip service, but life service. Listen, I thank God for everyone that comes to the house of God. As a pastor, I believe that it takes everybody getting together, doing the thing that they need to do. But let me tell you something. It's important that we understand that God wants a little more out of us than just a token service. I mean, really, let's just, again, I don't think that people just maliciously say, I'm going to go ahead out in the world, live my life, and then I'll show God a little bit of just to get his blessing. I don't, I don't think most Christians do that. I think, I think many times they believe that's enough. But they believed that in Jeremiah's day, and it moved God to move a man to say, hold on, don't lie to yourselves. Don't be deceived. Do do not allow yourself to come to this false conclusion that it's enough to simply attend the house of God in a very superficial way. It ought to be something. Trust ye not in lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as though that's the answer. No, a changed life was what he was seeking. See, the problem wasn't limited to the house of Israel either, but it affected the New Testament believer as well. Paul addressed it in his letter to James when he said in James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So it's not enough to simply go to church. God's not about lip service, but life service. How's your life? How's God affecting your life? See, number two, we need more than a form of godliness. I mean, as those, those Israelites made their way to the temple early on, they, they knew, okay, we need to be in God's house. And they spent a lot of money to renovate it and to make it beautiful and to ultimately reinstitute and put in place those, those sacrifices again. And they thought to themselves, wow, what a great job we've done. Man, we've got, we've got it handled. God's certainly going to bless us. He's going to protect us from our enemies that are all about us. We have certainly pleased the Lord. And you know what? We're going to go to the house of God. This is great. Hey, good to see you again today. Man, this is an awesome opportunity to fellowship. This is wonderful. But it didn't change their lives. They were still cheating on their taxes. They were still gossiping. They were still not forgiving people. They were backbiting and they were doing the things that unfortunately hurt and harm others. And they did not recognize and see the, the, how it, it's supposed to not be that way. That it, You don't separate church from your life. You don't do that. And Jeremiah is saying, listen... 
We need more than a form of godliness. And in 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Don't be a part of all that mess. Don't just appear to be holy and righteous. Don't just go through the motions. No, you don't deny the power that you have to overcome sin in your life and to be victorious. No, don't just play church. So he says, it's not enough to simply go to church. God's not about lip service, but life service. We need more than a form of godliness. And number three, we're not only to put off some things, we're to put on some things. Turn, if you would, over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, yeah, there's things we shouldn't be doing, but there's also some things we should be doing. Notice what he says in Colossians here, chapter 3, verse 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of... of uh, as the elect of uh, um, I think I just lost something here. Let me turn to that because I just lost a portion of it and I must not have copied it over or something. I try to do that so I don't have to take the time to read it because we're usually pressed for time here. Colossians, there we go. Chapter 3, verse 8. All right, let me find it here. He says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering. Verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's a mouthful. We're not only to not do some things, we are to do some other things. And that's what Jeremiah is saying to the people. He's saying, listen, your life ought to be different. Things ought to change, not just in that temple and not just on what you do on Sunday or Saturday in their case. He's saying, listen, what about the rest of the week? And then finally, number four. Church is not a substitute for Christ-like living throughout the week. That's what he's telling them. Don't think that your temple attendance makes up for all your lack of obedience. Don't think you can live how you want just because you go to church. It doesn't, it can't. You, you may be allowing it to appease your conscience, but it's not appeasing God. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We see here in the Laodicean church, and that's a church that pictures the last days prior to Christ's coming, and it's a day in which I believe we're living. I, I pray and trust Christ comes back soon, honestly. I, I want him to come back. I, again, I, young people, I know you don't want him to, but I do. I'm biblical, you're not. <laughs> Remember being young? How you, Lord, give me a few more years. I just want to enjoy life a little bit. It's easy to enjoy life when you're young and healthy. 
No, I get it, guys. I really do. Ladies, I get it. I, I do. It's hard. It's tough. Just draw close to the Lord and let him use you however he chooses. We thought he was coming back in our day, and we think now he's coming back now. And who knows, you may live a whole lifetime and never see his return. So you just live every day like he is returning. But, Lord willing, you, you may find you'll get a whole life ahead of you. So don't worry about it. You just let God worry about all that mess. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And again, an anoint thine eyes with eyes have, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Notice he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. And I believe that that's what Jeremiah is facing now. He's looking at the people of God and he's saying, listen, yes, you're going to God's house. Yes, we've, we've spent some money and we've tried to make the house of God beautiful and we've tried to reinstitute the worship of the house of the Lord and it's commendable that you are making your way to the house of God. But hold on, it's not commendable that you're not allowing it to change and transform your life. The fact is, is that you shouldn't just be a Christian. On Sunday, you've got to be a Christian all week long. May God help us not to be content with a shallow, half-hearted faith. May our life reflect the miraculous change that God has brought about in our lives through the new birth. May you and I strive to, to not simply display a once-a-week expression of faith, but instead exhibit the power of a changed life throughout the week. Live like a Christian daily. Submitting to God-given authority, forgiving others and loving the unlovable, being patient and long-suffering, showing kindness and consideration to our fellow believers, and displaying a powerful personal testimony before the world. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jeremiah 7, 3, as we close, says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Let me ask you a couple simple questions. Do you exhibit a changed life? Because a changed life is what God is seeking. A changed life is what unlocks the storehouse of heaven in our lives. A changed life is what will inspire your family to live for God. A changed life is what will impact the world in which we live. A changed life will leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. Amen. Do you show evidence of a changed life? Or like the people in Jeremiah's day, are we simply making our way to the house of God and basically saying, well, my conscience is appeased. And then go live how we choose through the week. 
Because that's the whole point of Jeremiah with the people of God. Jeremiah, God is telling him, you tell the people. It's wonderful that the house of God is open. It's great that they're attending and that they're enthusiastically going. But take something with you when you leave. Let God speak to you while you're there. And when you leave, leave different than when you came. Allow your light to shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A changed life. Not just church attendance, a changed life. That's what God is seeking. That's what God desires. Really, that's what God expects from us. He gave it all so that we would become exactly what he wants us to be, changed. He doesn't want us to stay the way we were. He wants us to be different now. He did it all for you and for me. A changed life, that's what he wants. That's what he deserves. Let's give him what he asked for. Let's not simply be a shallow Christian. Let's let our roots grow deep. And let's stand for God, not just on Sundays, but all week long. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us. Lord, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be stirred, that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction and change where it's necessary and needed. Lord, help us, Father, to just be clear on what we need to do. I think about just how important your word is through the week. How often prayer is a part of our life throughout the week. How many times we find ourselves holding back on what we say or do because we're so concerned about you and what you want from us during the week. Father, do we use the wrong kind of language during the week, but on Sunday we've got it right. Do we think the wrong thoughts during the week, but boy, during Sunday, we settle those. We kind of work on that. Do we watch the wrong things, Father, during the week, but on Sunday, we wouldn't watch those things, or at least not while we're in church. We'd think that was wrong. Father, help us, Lord, to be consistent, to be the Christians we ought to be, not just once a week, but throughout the week. Father, for those that don't know Jesus Christ, may they settle their soul salvation today. May they recognize their need to come to Jesus and beg for his mercy and ask him for his forgiveness and come to him as their Savior and Lord. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye.